Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense. Hey, podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. I'm Hub, and in case you didn't guess from the very spooky voice that I did at the beginning there, I'm going to give you a second to put your pants back on so you have some dignity after I just scared them off of you. Today, it is Halloween. Ooh. For those of you who are unfamiliar, Halloween is the day when traditionally the veil between the land of the living and that of the dead is the thinnest, and restless evil spirits will sometimes cross over into our world and eat our souls. So, many, many years ago, the ancient druids uh, concocted a festival where when you would go outside, you would wear various costumes, which is a tradition that is maintained to this day, so that when the evil spirits would see you in your costume, they would think, oh, hey, back to the future. I remember that. Or whatever pop culture reference your costume is, and would think, God, I haven't seen that in years. I was going to eat that soul, but you know what? I think instead I'm just going to go home and check out whatever pop culture reference that costume is referring to. On today, it would probably be Netflix, but back in ancient times when the ritual was started by the Druids, it was VHS tapes or uh, shadows flickering on a cave wall or laser discs. So that's the history of Halloween. Spooky! Scary! Back to the Future! is a pretty good movie. I actually am not crazy about it. The time travel is very inconsistently handled in that film, and I'm not even going to get into the sequels. Ooh! Pedantic! Well, enough of this Halloween goofery. We got a comic book to discuss, so without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Molly Hayes Hernandez. I snorted when I saw this on my vocab list, because thanks to Hub, I knew the meaning of synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Molly. Glad I could be of some assistance. Now you also have all the answers for the history test about Halloween that I suspect is probably coming up. New Teen Titans, number 26, December 1982. Runaways. Written by Marv Wolfman. Drotted by George Perez, with inks by Romeo Tangal. Letterded by Ben Oda. Colorded by Adrienne Roy. And edited by Len Wein. Teen Titan Roll Call. Starfire, Robin, Beast Boy, Raven, Kid Flash, Wonder Girl, Cyborg. Previously in the new Teen Titans. A storyline concluded. Hooray! Gadzooks! What will I do with the extra time I would have spent writing the previously in segment? Stay tuned to find out. I worked an extra shift at work this week and also flew to Baltimore this weekend for Lisa's family reunion. The gang is headed home from their adventure in space. Cyborg, Kid Flash, and Beast Boy are all sitting around speculating about whether Robin and Starfire are going to finally hook up. Despite initiating the gossip session, Vic abruptly cuts it short, saying that the potential couple in question are both kinda sorta adults and that it's none of the rest of the Titans' business what they do. Well, Cyborg, that is very mature and hypocritical of you. 
our little Victor is really growing up. Meanwhile, on a different part of the giant spaceship that I guess they now own, Robin and Starfire are hanging out in Coriander's private room. Oh yeah, you know what that means. That's right. Robin is giving a weird little speech about his complicated feelings and that Batman was a shitty dad. The short version of the speech is that Dick is really emotionally fucked up. He just got out of a relationship. He did? Batman was a shitty dad. He kind of sort of maybe probably really like likes Coriander, but he wants some more time to think about it. And Batman was a shitty dad. Aw, how romantic. Then they hold hands. Meanwhile, back on Earth, a bunch of drug smugglers get shot in Turkey. Okay. Then we get a trio of vignettes about kids running away from home. In Grand Rapids, Minnesota, a skinny red-haired kid delivers a monologue, presumably to an off-panel sibling, about how he just got a super shitty report card and he doesn't want his mom to beat him again, so now he's running away to New York City. Next, we go to the Bronx, where a shitty jerk named Luis is telling his tearful parents, Rosa and Galliano, that he is tired of them telling him not to be a shitty jerk all the time, so now he's leaving to go live on the streets where he can make big money being a shitty jerk. Then we go to Skokie, Illinois, where we meet a crying teenager named Lizzie and her asshole dad. Lizzie just found out she's pregnant, and her asshole dad calls her a slut and tells her to get out of his house. What an asshole. Back in New York, the Titans are arriving at the Titan Tower after their long space adventure. They all comment on how much they love their fancy T-shaped house and how nice it is to have a nice place to live that they love. Okay, guys, we get it. Then Vic goes to go on totally a not-date with his just-good-friend-definitely-not-girlfriend Sarah Sims. While in Raven leave to go on a kinda-but-not-really-a-date date, Robin and Starfire leave to go on a probably-a-date-but-they-don't-want-to-call-it-a-date date, Donna leaves to go meet her fiancé Terry Long for an actual definite date, and Beast Boy makes out with the Titan Tower. Really, he just keeps smooching the building. It's weird. A few weeks later, Dick and Coriander are out on an actual for-real date at a Broadway show. Good for them. Starfire spots District Attorney Adrian Chase, who I guess the Titans met back in issue number 23, but I don't remember seeing, as he was overshadowed by assistant DA named Frank, who, despite being an ADA, didn't have a bee living in his belt buckle. Fucking weirdo. Coriander wants to go say hi to Adrian, but Dick reminds her that they can't because they are both in their super impenetrable secret identity outfits. Suddenly, that red-haired runaway kid from Grand Rapids, Minnesota we met earlier jumps out of an alleyway and pulls a knife on the DA. Oh no! New York does not seem to be agreeing with that Minnesotan. He's all strung out on drugs and talking crazy talk. Starfire wants to intervene, but Robin stops her because 1. Secret identities, and B. He wants to see how this plays out. D.A. Chase disarms the kid. Hooray! Dick is like, see, I told you it would be fine. But then the kid freaks out, runs away, and gets hit by a car, dying instantly. Whoops. Dick and Coriander are pretty bummed out. So are the D.A. and his wife. The next day at the Titan Tower, Gar is playing some Atari when he gets an emergency call that something is going down at the Statue of Liberty. Is Remo Williams swinging around on the outside of it? Are the Ghostbusters hotwiring it so that it dances to Jackie Wilson songs? Sadly, it is neither of those things. Instead, a teenage blonde girl in a sweet brown outfit with a one-third Galactus hat is taking the statue hostage. She insists that she doesn't want to, but she has been ordered to destroy the Statue of Liberty. Oh no! 
Gar shows up, is super condescending, and tells her not to blow up the statue. She's all like, I don't want to, but I have to, but okay, I guess I won't. I'm leaving now, but my name is Terra. I have powers that control dirt and rocks. I don't want to do bad things, but someone is making me, and if anybody tries to stop me next time, I'll have to kill them, but I don't want to. Bye! Then she makes a rock cannon slash volcano thing that fires her off into the distance. Okay. So that was Terra. Something tells me we might be seeing more of her. Meanwhile, Raven is reluctantly hanging out with a bunch of her college classmates at a deli in Times Square. Everyone is all stoked that she's there, and she's all like, I don't really like hanging out with you guys, but my real friends told me I should, so here I am. You're welcome. A blonde dude named Paul, who we've seen annoying her before, keeps asking her a bunch of questions, and she's like, Fuck off, Paul! Leave me the fuck alone! At first, it seems like she's being a little harsh with Paul, but A, Paul is definitely not respecting her boundaries, and 2, if an empath thinks you're an asshole, you're probably an asshole. So fuck you, Paul. Suddenly, Raven screams out in pain, is Paul that much of a jerk that being near him causes Raven physical pain? Probably, but also she senses the hunger pain of a nearby stranger. It's Lizzie, the pregnant teen from Skokie, Illinois. She's looking pretty rough. Over Paul's objections, fuck you, Paul. Raven goes over to see if she can help Lizzie. She ends up taking the famished teen over to Cyborg's nearby apartment where she feeds him and talks to the troubled teen. After wolfing down some sandwiches, Lizzie reveals that since leaving home, she ended up working as a prostitute for a pimp named Howard. Howard recently got picked up by the cops, and since then, Lizzie hasn't had any money or a place to stay. Her story is one that Vic has heard before. After Lizzie eats and gets cleaned up, Cyborg takes her and Raven over to a nearby center for runaway teens that he used to sometimes frequent in his misspent youth. You know... The one he had as a star athlete son of wealthy scientists. Unbeknownst to the Titans, they are followed covertly by a teenage boy. We haven't seen him before, but he is red-haired and he isn't Wally or Lilith, so my guess is he's from Minnesota. The runaway center seems pretty rad. It is run by a nice lady named Ellie who explains that there are a lot of homeless teens, which sucks, and that a lot of them are starving or on drugs, which also sucks. After dropping Lizzie off, Vic and Raven bump into District Attorney Adrian Chase, who had also been at the visiting center on account of the kid who pulled a knife on him and got smushed by a car, used to stay there sometimes. He sasses the two teen crime fighters, then asks them for a favor. Huh. Interesting approach. Wait, is he negging them like a pickup artist? Did we miss the panel where he shows them a magic trick and wears a fancy hat? The DA tells Raven and Cyborg that he wants to meet with the Titans at police headquarters to see if they can help him out with some kind of a drug bust thing. The red-haired kid who was spying on our heroes takes off and heads across town to spy on some other shit. The shit he spies on next is a fancy yacht party in a nearby harbor. The red-haired kid seems pretty pissed off at the partygoers, particularly the host, a rich chubby drug dealer named Anthony Scarapelli. Scarapelli is being waited on by Luis, the shitty jerk who ran away from home to make big money on the streets. Wait, that's the job his unscrupulous street smarts got him? He's wearing a white tuxedo pouring champagne on a yacht. I mean, sure, he's waiting on a drug kingpin, but that's not the waiter's fault. Somehow, when Luis said, and I quote, I can make big bread on the streets, got that, ma? I didn't think he meant working for a catering company. 
Anyway, Luis glances up from pouring the champagne and notices the red-haired stranger spying on them. He alerts Scarapelli to this fact, and Scarapelli orders his underlings to chase after the spy and scrag him, which I guess means shoot him with a gun because that's what they do. Scarapelli congratulates Luis on his vigilance. Meanwhile, at police headquarters, in some kind of a storage room, District Attorney Adrian Chase meets with Cyborg, Robin, Raven, Starfire, and Wonder Girl. I guess Wally and Gar are busy. The chain-smoking DA tells the teens that he's pretty fed up with drug dealers, and that he'd like the Titans to go make some bus for him, and that if they have to break any laws to do it, that's fine with him. Just don't tell anybody. And the Titans are like, what? And Chase is like, laws get in my way and are stupid and dumb. I hate them. Which is a pretty berserk stance for a district attorney to take. At first, the Titans are pretty taken aback by this. But the DA reminds Robin of his shitty dad, Batman, so I guess the Titans are in. Huh. Okay. The Titans head back to Vic's place for some snacks or whatever, but when they get there, they find a bullet-riddled, red-haired kid bleeding all over Vic's floor. To be continued. So I guess Vic probably isn't getting his security deposit back. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how are you doing? Um, slightly better than days previous, but still a little bit spacey on account of a cold. Otherwise, well. Hmm, I'm sorry you're not doing well. We are recording today from Corey's palatial estate, rather than <laughs> my own stately manor. But thank you for, for hosting us. You are quite welcome, all of you. Thank you. Ah, he's welcome too. Oh, yeah, what a nice guy. Oh, uh, my entourage was just thanking you. <laughs> it's a goofy entourage, sir. Hey, I resent that. Uh, what's he talking about? We're normal. Yeah, I, I gotta kind of agree with you, Corey. Yeah. They're, they're a little strange. Guys, shut up for the rest of the recording, okay? <laughs> so, what'd you think of the issue? As we've gotten used to, really beautiful artwork. Yeah. Tons of detail. When we were discussing earlier, you put it really pretty succinctly that for not a lot of things happening, a ton of stuff sure happened. Yeah. I actually really appreciated that. Not a ton happens story-wise in terms of continuing arc stuff, but it sets a bunch of stuff up to happen later, and I don't think we've really had a full issue of that before. It seems like if there was an issue like this previously then it would jam something in at the last minute that was a storyline that concluded or that wrapped up real quick or a whole different arc that would happen within it. And I like that this one gives us time to breathe a little bit, but man, it, it starts off some big things. I think we meet six new characters in this that have some impact at least. And overall, I thought it was pretty well done. It was. It was also a little jarring to me, I guess, to go from this like, crazy space opera confusion to the gritty streets of new york mm -hmm. or gotham or no or, they're in new york they are yeah oh yeah that's why beast boy says um he really gets off on old warby <laughs> yeah that took me a minute i had to to parse that for a second okay old wormy um i don't think he's talking about his penis um <laughs> oh okay he's talking about new york city Big Apple that has worm in it. Mm -hmm. Old Wormy. Yep. I liked that it didn't over-explain it, though. There's, I think, a tendency for Beast Boy, certainly, to over-explain his jokes, and he sure doesn't do that there. Nope. Yeah, no, I had to figure that one out myself, too. 
Beast Boy's kind of interesting in this one. Mm. I did not care for his banter. No? No. Which banter didn't you care for? Because there's a few to choose from. Specifically when he first encounters Terra atop the Statue of Liberty. Yeah, it was tough to tell if he was just being condescending or was also trying to hit on her. I think it was a combination of the two, and yeah, it wasn't great. Let's actually take a look at that. He shows up, he meets Terra, who we'll talk about a little bit later, but the first thing he says is, Well, look what we have here. Half of New York City's finest have gathered to stop her? Hi, honey. What's the problem? Lose your boyfriend? Come to Uncle Changeling? I can help you if something's wrong. Gross. Yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping that's just him being super condescending, which is still gross. But if he's both hitting on her and calling himself Uncle Changeling, that's super creepy. Super creepy would have been way worse had there been an age difference between the two. They're kind of drawn to be around the same age. Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm getting to. Uh, what do you think of Tara? I'm kind of curious to figure out what her story is. She clearly doesn't want to be doing this evil deed of destroying the Statue of Liberty. She's very explicit about that. She, she shows up and just lays it all out. Well, certainly keeping her secrets, but basically is just like, I've been told I have to destroy the Statue of Liberty, but I don't want to destroy the Statue of Liberty, but I'll do it. And Changeling is like, hey, I'm creepy and gross. Don't do that. And she's like, okay, I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to leave and you better not stop me. And I don't want to do bad things, but I'm totally going to do bad things and you better not stop me. I'll kill you next time. Yep. Next okay. time. Bye. Oh, and I can control the earth like this. Mm-hmm. And like this. Uh-huh. And like this. Yep. Many different ways to control the earth. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Yeah, I kind of like her. Yeah, I feel bad for her. She's worried the bad guys are going to kill her. Yeah, that would be too bad. Yeah. I wouldn't want bad guys to kill me. And she didn't feel like she had the space to speak up when Beast Boy was like, I'm a good guy, you're a bad guy. And she was like, no, man, it's complicated. But she couldn't say that because she was too busy. Yeah, too busy making a rock formation that a guard takes in the crotch as a Tyrannosaurus. Oh, yeah, that was pretty true. cool. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Not going to say he didn't deserve it, but he had some fun times playing Atari. So that was cool. And he made out with a building a lot, too. That was dumb, man. <laughs> the, the building kissing? Yeah, it was so dumb. He really went overboard on that. He also had a weird point when everyone was sitting around and gossiping. Let's talk about the gossip scene that it starts off with. Okay. I thought it was kind of funny the way that Cyborg was like, so, do you guys want a dish about Dick and Coriander? And then everybody's like, yeah, what the fuck? And then he's just like, you, you guys, guys are, try to be mature. You guys are Leave assholes. him alone. <laughs> totally. Total bait and switch. He was the one who totally started it and was just like totally into talking about it. And they all wanted to chat about it. And I honestly thought that was kind of cute. Just Cyborg, Wally, and Beast Boy sitting around being like, do you think he likes her? I think he likes her. I don't know if he knows that he likes her. And then Beast Boy's, I didn't like it the thing that he said, but I thought that it was super in keeping with his character as somebody who is incredibly immature and is trying to pretend to be a horn dog, kinda. Because mm. Wally is of the opinion that Starfire is in love with Dick mm-hmm. and Dick is in love with Starfire. Mm-hmm. Cyborg is of the opinion that Starfire is totally in love with Dick and Dick is confused about his own feelings. Right. And Beast Boy 
says, what? I mean, she's gorgeous, she's beautiful, and she's stacked. Of course he loves her. Mm-hmm. Gross. But also I feel like super in keeping with Beast Boy's character and that he would try to say things like that to present that he knows what he's talking about when he doesn't. Yep. Uh, so I, th- I thought that kind of worked. I also thought it was kind of funny that Cyborg refers to the Teen Titans as our little coffee clatch. Yeah, I didn't have the time to look that up. Did you know what a coffee yeah, clutch is? It's a group that gets together for coffee, like a little society. But it also strikes me as a very old person term. Mm-hmm. And Cyborg is totally fluctuating in this issue with between saying things like that, being like super like magical wisdom Negro, <laughs> and then also being angry young black man mm-hmm. who is talking about how he grew up being in more street fights in gangs than he can count. It's like, wait, what? You were? We, we've talked about this before. Like, Cyborg's backstory is super confusing mm-hmm. because he's the son, the star athlete son of wealthy scientist parents. But I guess he ran away and then was homeless for a while and was also in street gangs all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess the writers of their their trope dice. They're yeah. just like, let's see what comes up today. Yeah, let's let's switch them back and forth between these two. And it's kind of confusing. I suspect we'll learn more about it later and they'll probably make some efforts to iron things out, but we will see what we will see with that. Either way, I thought it was funny to hear him refer to the Teen Titans as a coffee clatch and specifically call out the fact that it's kind of weird that they bothered to put Teen in the name. Yep, because we're all grown up now. Yep, except, even though they're all still teenagers. Except you, Beast Boy. Yeah, but they're they're old teenagers. Like 19? Oh, yeah, man. Over the hill. Too old. Speaking of Robin and Coriander's relationship, and also of Raven and Wally's relationship, man, seems tough to date a person who is named after an R-bird. Um, Robin and Raven. Got it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. Cold meds. I understand. Yeah, they both are following kind of similar lines in their relationship where their partner will declare their love for them. Mm-hmm. And then they'll be like, mm, I still need to figure out how I feel about you, but maybe. It seems like a weird kind of almost controlling thing that Robin is doing, which I think would be kind of in character for him. His speech like subconsciously or yeah, I think I think probably, but also like, I mean, control is a big thing for him. And he talks about that later and he brings up a few times in this issue, like how Batman totally fucked him up. Mm-hmm. And I think he doesn't mean to bring it up one of the times, but it's just like, man, that, that guy made a real mess out of you. Mm-hmm. We have talked about Batman being a shitty dad before, but man, it really does seem like Batman is a shitty dad. Yeah. So Robin gives a speech that's basically like. Hey, can we talk? And she says, look, if it's something serious, I don't want to. And he's like, no, it's serious, but it's good. And it totally isn't. I mean, it's not terrible, but she's like, no, I don't want to talk about anything serious right now. I did just kill my sister, you know, which nobody mentions in the whole issue. Mm -hmm. And Dick's like, okay, cool. Anyway, here's what I want to say. I need to get this off of my chest for me because it's hard for me to talk about being in a relationship and also he's saying that he's on the rebound which i didn't know he was dating anybody did you nope okay 
That well, was news to everybody. Yeah, but he gives this speech that's just, so I think we should date because I really like you, but I don't know that I do. The phrase that he uses that I was like, oh man, I would go apeshit if I heard this phrase, <laughs> is when she says, but I love you, isn't that enough? And he goes, you know, I don't think it is. Because I only think I love you. Maybe. Yeah, take a hike, Buster. What the fuck? Yeah, okay, you're done. He also throws in that, but it's totally not because you're an alien. Yeah, which makes it seem like it's totally because <laughs> she's an alien. Awkward. Yeah, it, it's he's such but a... But also, I mean, one of the more accurate bits of teenagery writing is... I remember things. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm so mature, I'm going to have this feelings <laughs> conversation, which is really just me being a jerk. Yeah, but that is exactly what it is. And I think it is subconsciously like him trying to maintain control of the relationship because he is afraid of feeling emotional about things because that would be him losing control. But the fact that she has said that she loves him and he's like, well, I probably love you, so let's start dating, but let's take it at the pace that I want to take it at. And I will kind of keep holding that I don't know how I feel about you over things so that I get to be in charge. Total bullshit. Yep, it's total bullshit and it pisses me off. And it's also, that is very similar to what Raven is doing to Wally. Yeah, but she says it in the squiggly voice. Yeah, but she says it in the squiggly voice, so it's different. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Wally, I still need some time and space. Also, my dad's a demon. Creepy. But as long as I maintain control, which means that uh, I can't uh, let you know how I feel about you, Wally, then I can continue to let trigons be bygones. Other than that, Raven has a weird storyline in this. She is so bad at making friends. Basically, she ends up hanging out with a bunch of the students from her class before. And we've seen one of them before, this dude named Paul. Who, honestly, I think I said it in the synopsis, but fuck Paul. I think we're supposed to be a little more sympathetic towards him than we are. But he just keeps like, well, he doesn't listen. He doesn't respect boundaries. But so Raven's hanging out with all of these people. And everybody's just kind of gathered around her like, what's Raven going to say? She's hanging out with us. Mm -hmm. And Paul is like, I can't believe you're hanging out with us. And she's like, well, I don't want to, but my friends think that I should. So here I am. You're welcome. Yeah, pretty much. Not enjoying a hot dog like the rest of them. (laughs) No. Making no attempt to fit in. No, none whatsoever. And then somebody asks her a question. She's like, I do not want to answer any questions about myself. (laughs) And and then Paul, I think, is just like, but no, you have to answer questions about yourself. She's like, no, no, no. And then she freaks out. And then she freaks out because she senses that nearby somebody is very hungry. Mm -hmm. When she senses that, She goes, ah! And (laughs) Paul is like, what's going on? Oh, no, don't go talk to that lady. She's a prostitute, basically. Mm -hmm. And Raven's like, fuck you, Paul. And I think she calls him a fool, which is dope. And she's like, can't you feel her hunger? Don't you sense anything but your own? Don't you care about anything but your own gratification? Okay, as I said before, yeah, fuck Paul. Dude needs to learn how to listen. Dude needs to learn how to respect boundaries. But that one's a little bit unfair. He's not an empath. He's not an empath. You're an empath. But here's the other other thing. If an empath thinks you're an asshole, 
you're probably an asshole. This is a very good chance of it. Yeah. But it is pretty unfair for Raven to just be like, can't you sense that guy's pain? I feel like that would be like Wally going around running like, God, you guys are so slow. Can't you even run at super speed? Mm-hmm. Or Robin being like, we're all acrobats, right? <laughs> so I guess the Teen Titans have a spaceship now? Pretty dope spaceship. It's golden. It's a giant fucking dope looking spaceship. Where the hell do they park that thing? Like that thing's the size of the Titan Tower. Does it just, like, fit into the Titan Tower like some kind of a Russian nesting doll? Maybe under, like, an under-the-river parking garage. Oh, that'd be cool. Mm -hmm. They don't make any mention of that. They're just flying home on the spaceship. And they're just super stoked to be home. I hope they still have the spaceship, like, later. Because that seems like a big thing. And the fact that nobody talks about, like, well, we've got this dope spaceship now means that I really hope next time they have to go into space, it's not a big deal. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, man, we're so rich that we just don't know what to do with this extra spaceship. It does bring up something, and I'm glad that they brought it up, that the Titans are mostly very well-to-do. Mm-hmm. I enjoy that phrase. It reminds me there was a Kurt Vonnegut novel where it referred to people as being fabulously well-to-do, and I always liked that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, most of the Titans are fabulously well-to-do. The exceptions, I guess, being Kid Flash is like upper-middle-class suburban kid. Mm-hmm. Raven, kind of homeless, I guess. She might have space money. Raven? Or... Azeroth Ad- dollars? Yeah, I don't know. Those are only redeemable within the park. Oh. She can only use those to buy Azerathian milkshakes and shit. Oh, that's and she's shit. not allowed back on Azeroth. Yeah, that's a bum deal. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say Raven isn't fabulously well-to-do. Mm-hmm. Donna's doing pretty good for herself. Starfire's probably doing okay seeing as she has a big modeling contract. <laughs> as Corey that. Anders, the gene model. Right. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, maintaining her secret identity. Mm-hmm. Yep. Beast Boy's super rich. Robin's super rich. Yeah, they're a fucking rich group of kids. Mm-hmm. I wish that was brought up more by Kid Flash. Because he talks about how there's the division between him and them because... They're liberals, big city people, and he's just a small town boy and is more conservative. I think it would be a more interesting thing for him to bring up, just like, you guys are super elitist and don't realize how rich you are, you know? And I think that would make more sense as a division for them to use as more of a wedge if they want to develop Wally's character more. I wish they would do that. Mm -hmm. But I don't think they're going to. You think they just give Wally an allowance? I think they just don't think about it. I think they all are like, hey, Wally, we're all going to go out to eat. Uh, We're going to the Mm Ritz-Carlton. Split it four ways. It's like, dude, I just got a salad. Mm -hmm. Like, like, I got got a cup of goddamn water, and now I've got a bill for like $900. And they're all like, yeah, it's only $900, whatever. Gets old. Yeah, I would imagine that it would. Fuck those Teen Titans. Damn. Rich bastards. All Steve Stranging around. (laughs) so let's go over real quick the new characters that we meet we meet district attorney adrian chase it says that we met him before in issue 23 i don't remember that we met the assistant district attorney there which was a guy named frank fitzsimmons who yelled at them about keeping their noses clean oh i just i think maybe we saw the guy somewhere but that wasn't adrian chase but what do you think of him 
His uh, hair color and his eyebrow color don't match. Hmm. So you say he's got secrets. Could be. <laughs> I don't like this dude. I don't like a district attorney who wants to be tough on crime, ignoring the laws. Uh, basically, by ignoring the laws, he means the rights of the people that he is investigating. That's not a good stance for a district attorney to take. Generally, no. And also, when they're trying to kind of highlight that and why Dick's, you know, sensors go off is on page 22. They show the Batman silhouette yeah. in the background. Yeah. And I know it's supposed to lend a certain gravitas to the scene, but in my mind, because the Batman silhouette kind of comes in at this diagonal angle, it looked like he was sort of like a shadow, like lurking or photobombing. <laughs> like, hey guys, <laughs> it's the Batman. Just want to make sure you guys are doing vigilante justice. Okay, I'm out. Yep. I mean, obviously I noticed that too. It was pretty pronounced. I think that was supposed to just be more like Robin being like, yeah, this guy's okay. I will say the one thing I did like about Adrian Chase hmm. was his roadhouse moment where he gets stabbed in the shoulder with a switchblade and goes, doesn't hurt. Oh, yeah. Pain don't hurt none. When you first said that, I was like, wait, he rips a guy's throat out? <laughs> yep. It's off panel. Mm. Yeah, he's pretty badass. So, so, I mean, that was a pretty cool moment. Overall, I think we're supposed to sympathize with this dude a little bit more than I do. But, eh, whatever. We also meet, there's this scene where we see three people running away from home. Mm -hmm. The first is this Minnesotan kid mm -hmm. who's like red-haired. And he gives this long soliloquy to, I'm assuming, a sibling who doesn't appear in the panel. Mm-hmm. Uh, about how he's leaving home because his mom beats him when he gets bad grades and he just got some bad grades. So mm -hmm. he's got a bus ticket and he's going to New York. Mm -hmm. We next see him a few pages later, uh, strung out on drugs, trying to hold up the district attorney for reasons that don't make a ton of sense. Like he's he, trying to he hold up the whole crowd. get his money, but then he already says that he has the money from the other guys and maybe if he gives them the money back, then they'll let him go or give him drugs. Like, he seems like he's detoxing and is freaking out because he needs to do drugs. Yeah. That's what it seems like, right? Yep. Later on, the district attorney says that the kid had drugs on him. So he had drugs on him. Why didn't he just do those drugs? Whoa. That's the mystery. What is going on there? What is going on? You know what I think is going on? What? Poor writing. I think oh. they didn't think of that. Oh, no. Um, which is frustrating. But also, in a few weeks, he gets super hard hooked on drugs. Mm -hmm. Like, that is a very small window of time that has just passed. Sure. So, well, that's the Minnesotan, and we don't, I guess, have to think about him that much more, because he, he gets hit by a car pretty bad. All the way to dead. Yeah, all the way to dead. We also meet Louise, who seems like a real dick. He's, oh, uh... Oh, yeah, he's so mean to his parents. He's super, and, like, they're... Like, the other runaways are just like, oh, man, these poor kids. Mm -hmm. We can see why people would run away. With Louise, it's just like... This kid's a fucking dick. Mm -hmm. He's basically just saying, like, I don't like your rules where you don't let me do crimes and you make me go to school. You parents are the worst. Always want to know what I'm doing and talk about things. Yeah. I don't want to talk about things. I'm a teen and I want to do crime and get money. But he says, like, I can make plenty of bread out on the street. When we next see Luis, he is pouring champagne for Antonio... Scarapelli. Mm -hmm. Scarapelli, do you think that's Dutch? 
<laughs> Mamma mia. I'm kidding. He has an Italian name, so clearly he is a crime boss. Or hmm. a jeans manufacturer. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. So we, the, we do get a little bit. Those are the two I, things I mean, you can be. Yeah. So here's the weird part for me. How did Luis get a catering job? Brad, he's hustling, man. Like, that's... How is that a job? That How is that like a street job that you can make plenty of bread on the street? Because he's working for a gangster. But he's working for the gangster as a waiter. Like, the gangster is a very rich ga- gangster. Presumably, if he's having a party where he's trying to impress people, he would hire somebody with a knowledge of fine dining. That is almost certainly a catered party. Luis is wearing a white tuxedo. He's got a catering job. Mm. How did he get that job? And if he specifically wanted to work for drug dealers, is he just like, when the other catering jobs come in, he's like, no, no, no. You didn't read the fine print. I only want to pour champagne for drug dealers. Has to be on a boat. Has to be on a boat. Second drug girls. dealers. Yep. I got to wear some shades. Yeah, he doesn't wear shades. Oh, does the other guys? Yeah. The, the security guys are wearing... The security wearing... guys oh, are wearing shades. You, the... can't, you can't wear shades when you're pouring champagne. You're going to spill champagne. Oh, really? I don't know. Probably. I don't... It would seem it would so. be good to have some kind of protective eyewear for like when the uh, There's glare corks pop. Off the water, too. You want to protect your retinas, man. Yeah, you'd think. But, I mean, you know, that's the price you pay working service. Mm, this is tough. Being yeah. A, a street tough catering man. <laughs> yeah. We also meet a young woman from Skokie, Illinois, named Lizzie. Mm-hmm. And... Her dad kicks her out of the house because she got pregnant. Yeah, he's a piece of work. Yeah, I, man, fuck that guy. No good. He's no good. So she runs away, and we meet her later. She is the she has turned to prostitution. She was taken in by a pimp named Howard, which is not a good pimp name. But Howard apparently was also not a very good pimp because he got picked up by the police, and then she's starving because he has all of her money. Man, poor kid. Tough run. Yeah, she is having a bad bout of luck. I'm also a little bit surprised that she bothered to go to New York City, seeing as she was pretty near Chicago. Mm. She's just looking to run away to the big city. I guess there is probably a certain allure to the idea of New York, but it would have been harder for her to raise the money to get there. I don't know. Maybe she was looking for catering jobs. Probably. In New York. <laughs> probably. Ugh. Those underworld catering jobs. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she has a pretty rough go of it, but I, I have high hopes that she's going to get herself uh, cleaned up and turned around at the homeless shelter that she gets dropped out at. So that's that's good. Yeah. And then we meet another person whose name we don't know, but is a second red-haired kid who is stalking the Teen Titans. Oh. And then he is spying on the boat party mm-hmm. and then uh, he gets he gets all shot up. And, not like and, the but gangsters. gets himself back to Vic's apartment. What do you think his deal is? Well, he doesn't like the bad guys. Sure. I don't know how he knows where Vic lives, though. I was a little bit confused about that, too. My suspicion as to who he is, although I still don't know how he knows where Vic lives, is that he is the brother of the first red-haired kid. Because oh. they both have red hair. And the kid was talking to somebody who was off-panel... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. And I feel like that's the kind of like, well, if he has red hair and he's not Kid Flash or Lilith, then they're probably related. Fair enough. Yeah. But it's Big Brother come to rescue Little Brother. and then Or Little Brother come to avenge Big Brother. Hmm? I think he might be the younger brother. No. I think so. No, he's older. I think he's younger because it seems like 
He's the good one. <laughs> every, um, every episode. On page 23, does Raven freak out so bad she turns into a space cat? Possibly. Now I have to take a look. Huh. What the fuck is that? I don't know. I guess when her powers kick in bad enough, she turns into a bubble wand. <laughs> it's really weird looking. It is a really weird looking panel that I can't believe I didn't really notice. Yeah, her face turns all red and she gets like a lion's mane type halo around herself. And her whole face is red and very stylized in a weird way that I think looks like one of those bubble wands. But you're right, does also kind of look like maybe she's a space lion. I thought you were talking in that panel where she looks like she's reaching one hand out and maybe going, Roar! Oh no. (laughs) In terms of just weird panels that I found funny, there's one on page 18 where it's the rec room of the the Center for Homeless Runaway Teens. Mm -hmm. And there's just one kid in the background who looks like he's about to take a bite out of a basketball. So hungry. <laughs> just like, no, kid, don't eat that basketball. They have plenty of food here. You're at a good place. That's a center for, for teens like you. But if he isn't going to take a bite out of the basketball, that's not a place where you can play basketball. They're inside of a rec room. You pointed out that it looks like maybe he's just going to bounce the basketball off that uh, off that one kid's head. And mm-hmm. you might be right about that. Yeah. That, that's probably the most reasonable explanation. I think maybe they shouldn't just keep a basketball in there. Those kids haven't earned it. Well, not that they haven't earned it, Corey. I'm trying mean, to take a, their toys It's not away. punitive basketball removal. I'm just saying keep that in the place where they can play basketball. If they got some kind of a gym or something. Otherwise, they'll be just tempted to either eat it or bean each other off the noggin. Or try to play basketball in the living room. You don't do that. It's disrespectful. Oh, I don't do it. There are kids trying to watch TV there. True. Okay. You ready to move on to the minutia? I think we should. I think we probably better. <laughs> we got minutia. It's not the biggest part. It's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. Okay, so what do you want to start with? How about we talk about some clothes? Okay, boy, do we have a lot to talk about. What do you want to start with? Um, In 1982, were all suits green? <laughs> you bring that up because Robin is wearing a fly green suit to the Broadway play. And also, that is the suit that Adrian Chase likes to wear. Mm-hmm. I think that might be subconsciously why Robin trusts him so much. Oh. He, he's like, oh, psychotic aversion to crime? Uh, embraces vigilante justice? Wears a nice green suit? This guy is okay. Yeah, it's like a mirroring... Yeah, I think so. But yeah, no, Robin's suit looks actually pretty dope. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a green three-piece suit that he's wearing to a Broadway play. And uh, it was pretty good. And uh, arm-in-arm with Starfire, too, wearing her trademark disguise green sunglasses. Mm-hmm. and um... Round sunglasses, too. They're like John Lennon glasses, mm-hmm. but bigger. Yep, and she's got a fran- uh, fancy dress on, and they, they cut quite a picture together. They really do. They really do. But that is just the tip of the fashion iceberg in this issue we got to talk about Terra. oh earth tones man the earth tones are dope i love brown on brown it's a light brown on dark brown suit 
but that mask is fucking rad. Yeah, her costume is awesome. It's like a mini Galactus hat. Mm-hmm. Like, it's got the weird fucking things for ears. Yep. And it also has, like, the Black Bolt, like, tuning pitchfork on the front of it. It's so fucking dope looking. I love that. I think we see Terra again later. She doesn't have the full hat, mm. and uh, I'm going to miss that hat because that hat is fucking dope. Yeah, it's a cool outfit. I guess we're still pretty close to the 70s, but the yeah, the color scheme and the color scheme super 70s. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing about decades. They don't just like end abruptly like that and then the fashion goes on to the next one and is fully formed. I saw some concert footage from like a parking lot in like 1993 for like a Nirvana concert, I think. Mm. And it looked so 80s to me. Mm. Like it's all fucking mullets and people wearing ocean pacific gear and shit and like (laughs) it looked so 80s and like i forget that it's like nope just because the first digit of that decade is different doesn't mean everybody immediately is like okay let's stop doing this thing and start doing this thing right but tara's got a good look you know who doesn't have a good look um who the minnesotan teen who uh runs into traffic does tight Tight 70s clothes. The tight white bell bottoms are a tough look to pull off. And this kid doesn't. I mean, partly because he looks like fucking he's got E.T. limbs or something. He is a weird alien looking kid. Like we talked earlier, the art in this issue is terrific. But that is a weird looking, weird proportioned kid wearing tight white bell bottom jeans and a black tank top with two red stripes across the middle. I think he really like wants to look like the singer from The Who. Oh, like yeah, he, I can see him going for a Roger Daltrey look. Mm-hmm. Totally. But yeah, but he's got the body of a gray alien. A gray alien? You know the grays? They're the ones with the that you see on like the communion cover and shit. Oh, mhm. Yeah, isn't that the kind of body he has? Sure, yeah. It's weird. Yeah, skinny. But like super long limbs. Also, I think maybe they're trying to say he's a junkie before he's leaving town, but he shouldn't be a junkie yet. Like, he gets hooked on junk when he gets to New York. He's just got bad grades now. Mm-hmm. But yeah, doesn't that, like, it looks like he's, like, they're trying to show track marks or something on his arm. Oh, maybe they are. Anyway. Maybe it's foreshadowing. Anyway, that kid's got a bad look. Other fashion, Vic wears a pretty cool Bumblebee shirt. Oh, yeah, it's a good Bumblebee shirt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's just like uh, horizontal stripes. Black and, I think, orange, actually. So, you know, not full Bumblebee, but kind of a wuzzle type thing. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a nice look on him. Yeah. I. It looks cool whenever Vic wears clothes. He should do it more. He should, he should do it more. I think at one point, Adrian Chase says something about you long underwear types. Mm-hmm. That's pretty And cool. I wonder, but Vic's got to be like, I'm sorry, who are you talking about exactly? I guess maybe Wally? Mm-hmm. But... Not only do Robin and I not wear long underwear, we wear, like, bikini briefs <laughs> and nothing else. Yeah, that is a weird... That is definitely a short underpants. That's a weird look when you think about it. It's weird that it doesn't seem super weird every time we see it. We're just used to it. Yeah. Get uh, those guys some tights, man. Seriously, get those, get those guys some long underwear so they look normal. Right? <laughs> The other piece of fashion that I want to talk about real quickly is Ellie, who runs the Runaway Center. So is she 
a fashion goth type or just super like old but doesn't look old i couldn't figure it out yeah it's tough to tell she's got white hair but she's drawn as a very young person so it's more that she's colored as as an old person but she was drawn as like a young person but a lot of like right now a lot of young people will have their hair dyed white but I don't think that was a thing in 82. But she's also wearing like a dark blue skirt and a super... She's also dressed like a super old lady. Yeah. My sixth grade English teacher used to dress like that all the time, kind of. A frilly like, blouse. Frilly blouse and like a cameo type thing. But she's got like a really young hip haircut, this Ellie. It's very confusing. Um, she's got a lot going on there. Her Yeah, she's wearing a super like frilly like tuxedo-y type shirt mm-hmm. with ruffles, which... As remind me of when I used to work at Nicholas's, I used to dress like that. Oh no. <laughs> uh, well, we had to wear a white button down shirt. I was uh, waiting tables and I, we, you had to wear a white button down shirt. And so at a certain point I was just like, fuck it. I got to wear a white button down shirt. I went to the, uh, used tuxedo shop and I bought three of them that had like the super like 1960s prom ruffles on the front. And I wore those to work every day. And my bosses didn't say shit about it. I was stupid as hell. But I was like, that was my little act of protest. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. Any other fashion you want to comment on? Nope. That covered it for me. Taking this party to the Bozone. What instance of a character calling another character a Bozo, either literally or metaphorically, would you like to comment upon? I got a couple, but they're, they just don't feel like good zingers. Okay, well, which one do you like best? I'll probably go with the Beast Boy classic, Rusthead. Okay. Referring to his pal Borgi. That's fine. Where, where does he call him a Rusthead? I think it's on page six at the beginning when they're talking about how much they love being back at Titan Tower and Beast Boy's being a total fucking weirdo. Kissing the ground and making out with the building. Shut up, Rusthead. I'm a romantic. We always over-emote. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I do like that Beast Boy is bringing up the fact that so much of his character is performative. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a decent one. Mine was also a Beast Boy one. And mine was him zinging space. And it's when he kisses the Titan Tower (laughs) and says... Space, Patui, New York, yay! <laughs> Pretty good. Beast Boy's a fuckwad in this issue, but that made me laugh out loud. It's like, that's really fucking cute. That was funny. Yeah. Space, Patui, New yeah. York, yay! yay! The other one that I had was Raven calling Paul a fool. Are you crazy? Raven, don't you know what she is? Look at her and leave her alone. And then Raven goes, you are a fool, Paul. She is in agony. Do you ever feel the pain of others? Are you only concerned with your own petty gratifications? Okay, that part's a little unfair. But yes, Paul is a fool. And yes. And I love it when people call people fools. It's usually something that is reserved for supervillains or Mr. T. But Raven does it well. Good job. Good job, Raven. Although I think I am giving the slight bozone edge to Space Patui. I'll show Space. It's a six space burn. Yeah, that was pretty good. Okay, did you have a show and tell or a timestamp for this one? I 
had the both. I had the both. Ah. Uh, was your show and tell Tara's dialogue? All of it almost. Pretty much. It was essentially her spelling out. I've been told to do bad things, but I don't want to do the bad things, so I'm going to do the good things. I'm going to make earth things with my powers. Here's how I make the earth things with my powers. There they are. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. We could read it verbatim, but I don't think enough is gained by that. It is pretty much just a I think you summed it up. very self-narrating style that she has. Indeed. Suspiciously self-narrating, one might say. How so? I don't know. Um, <laughs> let's move on. Why don't you do your timestamp first? My timestamp was the... Um, I don't know if the game that Beast Boy references was actually a game, but he talks about playing Atari games. Okay, the game that he 80s. is referencing is very much a game. It is the game Sword Quest, and it was mine also. But uh, I also do want to briefly bring up that there is a secondary timestamp, which is the Broadway play that Corey and Robin are attending is nine, which was a Broadway adaptation of Fellini's Eight and a Half, which I think is kind of arrogant to be like, we're one half better wow. than this classic Fellini film. But it was a very popular Broadway play at the time. I was going to ask you about that because you know musicals and I don't, and I thought, I wonder if they made that up or that's a real one. They did not make that up. It was a real one and it was a timestamp. But not as good a one, in my opinion, as Sword Quest. Because Sword Quest is not just a timestamp, but a cross-promotional platform. Mm. Sword Quest was a video game that came out for the Atari that was a puzzling game, a uh, puzzle-solving game. Mm -hmm. Each cartridge would come with a comic book that was co-produced by DC, which was written by Roy Thomas and Jerry Conway and was illustrated by George Perez and Romeo Tangal. Oh. There were three versions of the game that came out and there was supposed to be a fourth edition of it. With each edition, there was a real-life contest that you would enter if you solved the puzzles within the game, and then the high score would get a special prize. And so they did that for the first two. Uh, and it was like this dope fucking prize. Mm. It was this, I, f I forget, it was like this giant trophy. They said it was worth $25,000, and that's in 1982. Whoa. Um, but it was made of like gold and platinum and shit, and then it had the birthstones of all the signs of the Zodiac on it. This wow. is the first prize. And then also a little platinum sword that was like your trophy for completing this thing. The guy who won it was this dude from Detroit. I forget his name. But he melted it down to pay taxes. Oh, no. <laughs> he's like, but I kept all the little baubles and the little sword, but I lost the sword. <laughs> oh. But yeah, then the second guy kept all of his. He had It was a similarly ornate, like, bejeweled and made of precious metals, like, chalice type thing. That is uh, and they did two of those, and then... Atari started not doing so good when the, as the third one came out. So they didn't the game came out, but they didn't complete the the challenge that went along with it. Mm. And then the fourth one never came out because Atari had gone out of business or was going out of business. But yeah, each one came with the, each of the three that came out came with a comic book that was illustrated by George Perez. So that's why Sword Quest gets referenced in this. Very clever. Yeah. So I thought that was pretty cool. And that's the timestamp. Dang, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. What was your favorite sound effect? Um, it was kind of a dual sound effect. Okay. It's on page 10, 
and that's right before the the kid from the Midwest who after he tries to rob everybody outside of the play uh-huh runs in a traffic and gets killed by a car and when he does that they're all like they yell kid like super loud and send giant explosive letters and then the car is like beep <laughs> <laughs> this is really quiet little beep did the beep come after the kid got hit it seemed like it i'm gonna take a look at that it totally does kid dick beep no <laughs> that's not good i went with scrunch which is the noise that it makes when beast boy in tyrannosaurus rex form takes a rock formation to the crotch ah that scrunch yep yeah there really weren't a ton to choose from there was crunch from like a different rock formation hitting beast boy scrunch beep and then there's a few bam bams when uh, dude's getting shot at at the end. But that's pretty much it for sound effects in this issue. Yep. What was your favorite panel? I liked the really stylized writing um, that spelled out Runaways. That was this kind of a knockout where there's no background, but the background of the letters is the picture on the... Oh, that's hard to explain. It's like a stencil of the word Runaways that has an illustration of a cityscape on the letters and then the forms of kids running across it i had the same one it's fucking gorgeous it's Mm -hmm. just really cool looking layout there's enough happening on it that it's difficult to read the word runaways you have to kind of step back from it and look at it at an angle almost yeah but uh it's really really cool looking and the reason they're able to do that you don't end up getting the title of the issue until like page eight but when they do the initial panel where you would expect to see the name of the the issue there's a new Teen Titans logo that I don't think is the Teen Titans logo, but it's very Star Trek looking, and it is their spaceship zipping through the words, the new Teen Titans, and it's really cool looking. It looks kind of retro, which is something you don't see a lot of in 1982, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And Runaways was one of my choices, and the page one, not just the the title, the Teen Titans, but the the first panel of it's when they're having their gossip and they're coming home from space. It's just this beautiful shot of Wally and Cyborg flying a spaceship, and it's so cool looking. It's full of those great Perez details too, like even down to these little tiny buttons, of which there are many, and all the mechanical parts of the chairs and the yeah. planets in the background and stars. That's so detailed. Yeah, I think a lot of that credit goes to Romeo Tangal, but it is a superb panel, and I I really love it. I also love what's happening in it, and I like the way that Vic is setting up the gossip start. We're almost home. Well, it goes, yep. Nice day if it doesn't rain. Yep. You're thinking about Dick and Corey too, huh? Yep. <laughs> it's really cute. Uh, and yeah, it's just a beautiful panel. Yeah, those those two are just fucking gorgeous. But really, the whole issue is beautifully, beautifully drawn. Really, really well done. Yep. I, I know. I, I feel like we say that every episode, but it is true. It is true. That leaves us with the Speedy and Aqualad for this issue. Yes. Every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has an Aqualad, the greatest of Teen Titans, and every issue also has a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans. In this issue, Corey, who was your Aqualad? In this issue, the proud recipient of the Aqualad prize 
Yes. Is Cyborg. Agreed. Uh, I had a backup of Raven, but Vic does a great job. Um, I had a backup of Raven, too. He, uh, yeah, he, he just does a great job. He draws on his background, which, again, doesn't make necessarily a ton of sense, but he uh, he's really good at dealing with Lizzie when she gets brought to his apartment, feeds her, takes her to the runaway center, does some more volunteer work at the beginning of the issue with uh, Sarah Sims, uh, uses the word coffee clatch to describe the Titans. Mm-hmm. He has a really good issue. Mm-hmm. Yep. Seems like that uh, wanton murder of aliens has been left yeah, in has, space. Yeah, hasn't and... been kicking in. He's not uh, just like, oh, I gotta kill some aliens. Yep. Hey, Starfire, you want to talk for a second? <laughs> no, he's not pulling that, which nope. is great. Yep. Good to see. And he wears a nice, uh, nice uh, sweater. Bumblebee sweater. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, Raven was my backup because she also helped out Lizzie and showed a ton of compassion and, uh, does not like called, called Paul an idiot, um, <laughs> really put him in his place. So that was pretty good. Conversely, who was your speedy in this issue? My speedy for this issue was Beast Boy. And I think it's probably not a surprise because okay. of the, mostly just like the, I know it's a character trait thing where he's like, has this bravado and it often comes off as this like immature sexist you know joking around but the yeah it's shitty the uncle the creepy uncle thing was too much yeah i get that i get that i decided to go with robin uh for a few reasons i don't like the way i think he is being controlling in his uh, burgeoning relationship with starfire i think that speech fucking sucked you're right authentically teenage but authentically teenage because it's him being so shitty and not realizing it and mm-hmm. thinking he's being mature. In addition to that, when he and Starfire are out at the Broadway show, they see that this kid with a knife is coming up to the district attorney and Starfire's like, we should do something. And he's like, oh, we're, in our, we're, we're in our secret identities. We, we can't do anything. Which is fair, I guess. It's their... In her case specifically, it is a bad secret identity, uh, and she could just zap the knife out of his hand covertly, as she has done similarly in the past. But his real motivation for that, and not to be like, okay, well, we could dodge behind there and change into our crime-fighting outfits, which we totally have, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. His real motivation is, I want to see how this plays out. Yeah. And so he's like, yeah, let's let's hang back. Let's uh let's let this go. And he's kind of gratified when he sees Adrian Chase is able to fend off the kid and disarm him and and hold him in place for a second. He's like, "See, it's totally cool. We don't need to do anything." And then the kid gets hit by a car and dies. Mm-hmm. Maybe it wouldn't have happened if you weren't like, "Let's see how this goes. I'm kind of curious." I like the cut of this guy's jib and the cut of his sweet green suit. Let's see how this plays out. I think that and, yeah, him fetishizing the guy for having a borderline psychopathic obsession with vigilante justice, not the best. And uh, I don't honestly see good things necessarily happening from this team up with the district attorney. I don't trust this district attorney. I think he's going over the edge. I think he might go all Harvey Dent on us got creepy eyebrows he's got creepy eyebrows fair enough yeah so i don't know so that's why i went with robin my backup was beast boy my secondary backup was raven for just really for that one line like don't you have empathic powers like i do 
I really liked though also when she's hanging out with all her new friends and she's just like, don't ask me anything. I don't want to talk. I don't want to be here. My friends told me I should hang out with you, that it will be good for me, but I don't enjoy this. Don't ask me any questions about myself. I have to go. Don't talk to me. Good hang, everybody. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> but I did like that she put Paul in his place, and I liked that she helped out Lizzie. That was nice of her. Indeed. So, I think that's pretty much it, except for... Waput. Waput. In December of 1982, Corey, what on earth presuming that it is on Earth, mm. is Aqualad probably up to? Well, it is most definitely on Earth. Okay. And um, after all the shenanigans that he's been up to, he, he just needs some some relaxing time. Mm -hmm. And one of his favorite ways to relax is reading comic books. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. What comic books is he reading? So he has swam all the way to the Big Apple to go to his favorite comic book store. Old Wormy? Old Wormy itself. Um, and in December of 1982, he was dying to know what was going to go down between Wolverine and the Yoshida clan <laughs> in um, issue number four of the, the first uh, Wolverine series. Oh, the limited series? Mm -hmm. Yep. Cool. So I went and got that, picked it up, got some snacks, went home. <laughs> and that is what Aqualad was probably up to in December of 1982. It was the highlight of the month. <laughs> Well, he was up to a few other things in that month. Early on in the month, um, you know how Aqualad can be sometimes a little bit gullible? Sure. Well, somebody told him, and that somebody was a dolphin. It was one of his dolphin friends. Oh, they were hanging out, guys. and they are just always razzing that dude. Mm -hmm. They're very playful. Right. They're kind of dicks. Mm -hmm. They fuck with Aqualad hard. Mm. So one of them told him, Hey, you know the Washington Monument? I'm not going to do that voice for all of it. Um, I hear that thing's really George Washington's actual penis. And Aqualad's like, what? No way. And they're like, yeah, totally. That thing's just a giant dick. And he's like, no, no. So they're like, yeah, you should check it out. So Aqualad went and he carried the two dolphins with him up the Washington Monument. And when he got to the top, he's like, look, see, those are stairs. This is made out of marble. This is not a penis. And they're like, yeah, of course it's not, you fucking idiot. He's like, oh, fine. And then he and the dolphins leapt out of the top of Washington Monument into the reflecting pool. And that was seen by someone named Norman Mayer. And it was the most <laughs> beautiful thing he had ever seen. It spoke to him just watching these three things fly out of the top of the Washington <laughs> Monument and land in the reflecting pool. It was almost symbolic. It really spoke to him. Mm -hmm. And it was just so beautiful and so moving to him that he was like, this planet we live on is amazing. I got to make sure nobody blows it up. Mm. So... Later that month, unfortunately, Norman was a bit on edge even before he saw that, and he uh, he ended up taking the Washington Monument hostage and threatening to blow it up if the world did not get rid of all of its nuclear weapons. Things, unfortunately, did not end well for Norman Mayer. Uh, on December 8th, he his 
took his plan into fruition. He didn't really think it through, and he was, in fact, killed by the police. It turned out he did not have any explosives on him. But, uh, yeah, that was what Aqualad was up to. And then he went home and listened to Thriller, which came out that month. Oh. Really good album. Yeah, good album. Yep. And that is what Aqualad was probably up to, and he read some Wolverine comics. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't peg him as a Wolverine fan. Yeah, you know, a little danger, a little excitement. (laughs) Okay. Well, I think that's all the time we have, Corey. Sadly so. Thank you all so much for joining us. And, Corey, thank you for braving your disease. (laughs) Braving your own apartment. Uh, Thank you for for taking time out of your schedule and even taking time out of your convalescence to join us on this podcast. Anytime, sir. Excellent. And thank you for joining us, dear listener. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. Yeah, you can find us on iTunes and Stitcher and your podcatcher of choice. If you would like to leave us a review at any of those places, please do. We've gotten a bunch of new ones recently, one of which was a review for the fictional podcast we talk about, uh, Getting Into Touch with Tom oh, really? and Corey. <laughs> oh, no. It's really well written. You guys should check that out. But even if you don't feel like writing something, leaving us a, a five-star review or a high review is, is really helpful and uh, helps get more ears on the podcast. If you would like to donate in a more monetary manner, you can do so at patreon.com. And yeah, mostly just thanks for listening and thanks for spreading the word. And, and please continue to do that. You guys are the best. You really are. So, um, coffee clatch? Doesn't sound I like don't it. know. It's not a good catchphrase. No, that's not a good catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> George Washington's penis. <laughs> okay. Bye. Bye. And they know it.